Welcome to another edition of Practical Reliability, insights on the practical implementation of holistic reliability, brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success. I'm George Williams. With me is Joe Anderson. And today we're going to discuss backlog management in terms of, you know, how to calculate it and what backlog really is versus, you know, there, there's a lot of different terms used, why do we need ready one? backlog, okay, why do we need a backlog, all kind of, <laughs> I guess we're going to discuss a whole lot of stuff. Um, so why don't we start with, uh, you know, what is backlog, Joe? Uh, backlog is available work um, that is uh, needing to be done pretty much. In simple terms, it depends on what type of backlog you're talking about. But in general terms, it's whatever work that you have in documented form, I guess you could say, uh, that needs to be executed. So my PMs? Uh, depends. So it includes PMs? It could. Oh. But that's it, though, right? I mean, you know, it's the only work we have. PMs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> all right. So, so what's the value of having? Why have a backlog? What? So, all right. So, backlog is a a, a volume of work that needs to be executed. Mm-hmm. Why is it good to have a bunch of work that needs to be done? Uh, the biggest value is one is your need for headcount or lack thereof, right? So, your justification for needing people or whatever is based on the amount of backlog that you have. Um, so the value in having that backlog justifies you having the number of people you have or the number of people you, <laughs> you don't need. Right? So, so it's hard to explain here, but it, you know, if folks, I, I'm going to do the best I can, but folks can certainly go to our video series and see uh, a, a more graphical representation of this. But you bring up a good point, right? A lot of folks when I, always say, well, we need more people. We don't have enough technicians. We don't have enough folks. And and the way you justify that is if your backlog is growing, right? I, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not enough to have a, a flat backlog, even if it's 12 man weeks of work. If it's not moving, then then you have the appropriate staffing size. You just need to come in with some additional headcount, some temporary, temporary work yeah. to, to kind of drop that down. But if it's going up, then you certainly need more people. And if it's going down, then, you know, you need to either find some more work or have, you know, expand the amount of work that those folks are doing. Stop outsourcing things that you could do internal, whatever the case may be. But the backlog itself is a, a great indicator of your organizational size needs. Mm-hmm. And and the backlog over time really tells you whether or not that's at the appropriate level. It's adequate or not. But it's, the problem is, is it's very subjective. Because it's based on the amount of work that's being put in the system. If you're not putting any work in the system, you might need 100 people, but there's nowhere to justify it. So. And I think that's, that brings up a good point, right? So, so when you talk about anything that deals with data, it's really about how good the data is. And when we talk about backlog, it's got to be real. So all work that you execute in the field has to be on a work order. And all work you plan to do in the field has to be on a work order. Of course. And some, some organizations have these uh, rules around, well, the work order can't be more than 30 days old. And that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Your backlog needs yeah, to be your backlog. Paint, paint the fence, right? You have to get that done in 30 days while you have machines breaking down all the rest. Yeah, and, and, or, or you know, in some cases they'll say, well, we're not going to put it in the system yet because we can't, you know, we can't have it over 30 days old because they're trying to make a metric. And then they forget about that work order. Yeah, so, so you're not 
you're not rewarding the right behavior, the behavior of if you find something in the field, make sure it ends up in a work order, right? Well, that's a problem with metrics. Because if you don't understand how to use them and use them correctly, you're going to paint yourself in a corner. That and SOPs do the same thing. Yeah, and you know, and and for more information on metrics, certainly either see the video series or listen to the podcast associated with the metrics, and and we'll go through all that. But it, it it's a valid point if you're not if you don't understand what metrics are for. I mean, I've seen things around you know, just not to get off on too much of a tangent, but the the whole proactive versus reactive thing, right? So I, you've got to be seventy five percent proactive. <laughs> so every time they do a PM, they they create five follow up work orders, but they're, they, they're not meaningful, that right? That doesn't so, right. proactivity, which is funny. Right. So yeah. so anyway, so back to backlog. Uh, so the value of a backlog is it, it, it allows you to understand your organizational size needs. Right. It also gives you a good picture of what your um, baseline and budgetary requirements are in terms of executing the work that needs to be done. And it also gives you, uh, I guess, a sense of, uh, just the the amount of activity that has to take place that you have to coordinate, right? So how much of that you can gain efficiency on uh, is really a, a stretch of, you know, how much work exists and in which crafts and in which areas of your plant and how much of your money is moving to certain areas is, is you know, also an indicator. And you can use the actual work you execute as long as it's all on work orders or you can actually use the, the backlog as well. Uh, if you're using the, the budgetary side of things. Well, your backlog is your future state. Your work executed against the work order is your history, right? And so you use both in combination to understand my financial picture. What do I need to be budgeting for, right? So, for example, previous place I worked at, we would rotate equipment every two years, but we had it on a rotating schedule to where, like, every six months, we were shutting machines down and rebuilding them, right? So um, every year we tore this machine apart, but the chain on this machine didn't need to be replaced but every two years, right? And so you've got to look at your history and understand what's coming forward uh, with these shutdowns to plan financially for your budget. Um, if you don't do that, you're either going to be over or under budget, and it's going to be a mess. And, and if you're, you know, more and more companies are outsourcing the maintenance function, and and we can discuss the pros and cons of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and even if you are a mature organization that's only outtasking uh, the work, meaning you still own it, you still manage it, you still own reliability and asset management, but you're essentially handing the work order to an outsource uh, service provider. Sometimes you don't need five electricians next month. Sometimes you only need four. And sometimes you need two more controls guys. And, mm -hmm. and what dictates that is your backlog. And one of the advantages you're supposed to have in an outsourced model is that you can dictate the staffing size needs. Yeah. And, and it's up to the service provider to provide you with the extra control person and one less electrician. And, and, you know, that flexibility is what that model is really geared toward. I think that's the only pro that I see, too. Uh, yeah. I, and, and again, that, we'll, we'll, we'll have a whole discussion yeah. on another podcast they, about they that. They really care about your business. But from a backlog perspective, you can use that backlog to help dictate what your needs are. Or let's say if you're not outsourced, but you see that next <clears throat> month you are overloaded with electrical work. Yeah, and it's all priority one or two work or, you know, work work that really needs to get done next month. 
maybe you do need to bring in a service provider to help you offset that next month. And so you can project what your budgetary needs are and you can project what your manpower needs are based on what's sitting in the backlog. And you can utilize other groups to help you with that as well, other skill trades. And you can do other things like say your mechanical workload isn't as much as it was the month before. You have 20 guys, but you only have 15 guys worth of work. There's a whole lot of other things those five guys can be doing to get you ahead of the game. And so understanding where you're at, what you need, and all that stuff, it helps you get yourself out of that reactive hole as well. I think the the biggest value I see um, in backlog is the cultural value. If you are, if the expectation is that when people find something in the field, they are making sure a work order is assigned to it. So if they are doing a pump PM or doing a, a PM on a piece of machinery and they find a cracked weld, that they're not just doing the PM and walking away. Right. That they're putting the work order in to the backlog to take care of the other anomaly they saw. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a good example of this is we I had a, a reliability technician who collected vibration data and ultrasound and did the oil samples and things of that nature back at, at BMS. His, his name was Phil Wirtshaft, a really phenomenal technician. And, and, and he would always come back with a laundry list of items he saw that were inappropriate for our level of expectation right. at the organization. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that from well, 50% of your staff, right? I, the, uh, the, hey, your backlog is going to shoot through the roof. Right, but but so will so will the the level, uh, the cleanliness level. Yeah. So will the operation level. So will so will the value level of what you're doing on a day to day basis. So the the biggest value I see is really if you can get the organization to understand backlog and that it's a good thing, and that you expect them to create backlog. The value you get culturally from that is far more than than anything else because it feeds all those other things right sure. it's an it, it creates the output of all those other things well the other thing is how can you plan without it how do you plan without a backlog it's it's a requirement <laughs> i think, it, I think what if you, well you some know what I mean? some organizations plan to have emergencies well, you know, and, and we do and they, one way or another. They either do, account right? for them. They either account for it by saying we only schedule eighty percent, or we, you know, they're, they're planning to have emergencies. And so, I guess my point is, if you have no backlog, do you need a planner? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's my point. But also, the assumption is because I don't have a backlog, everything is perfect. Well, and yeah, that's the problem so. with metrics, right? The metric, if the metric looks green, I'm good. Yep. Red is really a good good color on a metric. Of course. It shows opportunity, it shows that you know, and then you have a plan to attack it. You know, it's it's got to be accurate, right? right? And and too many organizations worry about whether or not it's green and not whether they're doing the right behaviors that will eventually make it green. And that's, that's any a whole, metric anywhere, right? Yeah. OEE is the same way. 
And that's you, why you I, give me a target OEE, I'm gonna hit it. Yeah, it yeah. It doesn't yeah, yeah. mean that I'm driving out losses nope. or making improvements. Not at all. That's know, right. So and, that, and that's why I'm a fan of measuring the behaviors that sit in a process and not the output of the process. Right. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that more when we get to the the piece of that. All right. So in the the next topic about backlog is really around um, calculating backlog. Uh, and I, I guess, you know, a lot of people can do it a lot of different ways. You can calculate the ready backlog versus unready backlog, ready backlog being meaning it's planned and sitting in the scheduling bucket mm-hmm. uh, and everything else being considered, a, you know, non-ready backlog or, right. or uh, initial backlog or whatever the well, term that they want to use. backlog is. target, I think, is the goal, right? Okay, so from a total backlog target standpoint i guess four weeks is what we would consider to be a world-class organization and what they mean by that is man weeks yep and so a a man week of backlog is really let's assume regular it's your um required hours divided by your available hours right in a week so uh, that gives you a total number of weeks so however many man hours are required of work divided by however many available man hours you have to plan against that gives you your total backlog number. Right. So to, to put it in really simple terms, if no more work came in today, right. it would take you X number of weeks to empty your current backlog. Yeah. To do that, you have to have estimates on those of jobs. Yeah. If you don't have estimates, this number is out the window. And you know how we like to do estimates? You double or triple them, right? Two, 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 <laughs> and a 20-minute job, and then I have an hour and 40-minute break. Right. So the total estimate hours of backlog work divided by the total number of people you have multiplied by the number of hours they expect to work each week. So some organizations work 40-hour weeks. Some organizations work 37 and a half hours because they get a you know a one-hour lunch, but half of it's paid, whatever the case may be. 48 so, hours because right. working 12. So if you have 1,000 hours of backlog and you divide it by you know the 10 people you have times 40 hours a week, hours a week you end up with uh, 400 hours, right? So 1,000 divided by 400, so you've got two and a half, two and a half weeks of backlog essentially based, mm-hmm. on, based on that math. Uh, if I, I had my shoes off so I could do that. <laughs> so, so, so if you can do that, you know, uh, I, again, if you want more information or more detailed information uh, around KPIs, uh, we have KPI definitions on the website. You can take a look at those um, and, and, uh, and see the video for more uh, graphical representation of what that calculation looked like. Uh, but essentially, that's how you calculate man weeks of backlog. And I guess that's probably the most common way to measure backlog. Yeah. Well, there's, it depends on what you're calling a backlog. You know, you've got your ready backlog, your total backlog. Some people separate PMs. I don't understand why, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, I usually just use total backlog. Yeah. I don't well, we, really I, care about ready versus not ready unless I'm scheduling. I think we overcomplicate things because we can, and they're not quite as effective as they need to be. But I, it is what it is. So usually I'll, I'll do total backlog, but then have an error handling, meaning I want to see the volume of work, the number of work orders that have no estimate hours on them. Mm-hmm. This way I get an idea. So if I, if I have 10, you know, if I have 5,000 work orders in the backlog 
and a thousand of them have no estimate hours, then I, I know that 20% of my work has no estimate. Mm-hmm. And so if I have four weeks of backlog, I got to add 20% to that, right? And I, I essentially, I have five weeks of backlog. Right. Okay. So uh, next topic associated with backlog would really be around cleanup. I, you know, I guess what, what tends to happen is you end up with duplicates. You end up with stuff that goes in black holes because it either didn't get assigned a supervisor or the planner never saw it because they, you know, the admin didn't assign a planner code to it. That how do you manage the backlog? The way I've always done it is I had a meeting once a month, a backlog meeting, and we would sit and go through it and uh, run it against the system, what was printed, those types of things, and take out duplicates, you know, look at some that are hitting a lengthy amount of time. It, it just kind of depends on what we're looking at that month. But I always had a meeting, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably the most common approach, right? So if, and, and well, I would say the most common approach is to not manage it. Right. And, and But aside from that, assuming you're managing it, I think the most common approach is either a monthly or quarterly meeting where you look at things that either... It depends um, on the size of the organization and all that. I've always worked for some smaller organizations. So sometimes you'll look at things that are either excessive in age or, you know, the problem is how do you find what is hidden? How do you find the work that's sunk into the black hole that either didn't get assigned a code and so no one's looking at it or seeing it? Well, that and and if you use a numbering system for priorities instead of high, medium, low or whatever, your, you know, your fours and fives always get pushed off. But there comes a time when you're going to have to execute on those things or they're going to become ones. And so in that meeting, you're making decisions on, on priorities and those things. Man, this thing's been out there for 90 days. We know if we, because it could be a, a, a bearing defect found in vibration, right? And that bearing, it could last another six, eight months, but you're getting 90 days in now. And, you know, your route, depending on how your route set up, or maybe it was a one-off reading or something, you know, you might have to go. Uh, do another inspection or possibly you just say, you know, forget it. Let's get rid of this thing. And, and I think what, what may be common is no one actually adjusts the priority. Yeah. And so it still says it's a normal, you know, it's a four or whatever the yeah. case may be. And then suddenly it's six months old and it should be a one, but it still says four on it. Yeah. Right. And so if you're not having that meeting, no one's adjusting those things. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think the other, the other piece of it, um, it really is around the scheduling function Mm -hmm. and the scheduling function should be not. And we'll, we'll discuss this during scheduling is not just focus on priority ones and twos, but once you get the list of ones and twos that you really have to do, you should be finding similar work on the same equipment that while you have it down, you can execute that are from that four and five bucket, right? And this way, because when you're doing that, you're getting twice the work done Oh yeah, because you have less travel, you have less, well, it's already shut down. Right. It already requires a shutdown, so yep. it's one less shutdown. So you're becoming more effective exactly, and not just more efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. So um, from a backlog management standpoint in my past, I've worked with a, a company called Asset Analytics, and they, uh, in partnership with me, created a work management report. And it's literally on one page, you see every work order and every bucket it sits in. And it really makes it easy to see who owns what. And it's based on uh, 
a couple of different criteria, but the section that I like the best is that it's based on the how stagnant the work is by status. So if it has sat in waiting for materials for 90 days, it's got this big giant red number right. on it. And you're saying, well, I need to call a storeroom. Why the hell would I be waiting for parts for 90 days? Or if it's sitting in the planner's inbox or because the status says waiting for, to be planned, it doesn't matter if the planner wasn't assigned. Suddenly it hits that 90-day mark or that 60-day mark or wherever it is you draw your line in the sand. And you get this big red number that says, I I've been sitting in a planning bucket for 30 days. And you can click on a number and see what work orders are sitting there. And, and so I think... You know, to have that capability, and I don't, I don't know what systems folks are using, but it, to have the capability of seeing that right graphically in front of them um, would be would be really valuable for them. Definitely. All right. So from a backlog management standpoint, I think it's uh, make sure you understand the value of backlog. Certainly focus on the cultural benefits of, you know, get rid of the stigmata of we need a low backlog or no backlog. It's it's just a terrible approach to managing maintenance. And so we want a backlog. We want a healthy backlog. We want to make sure we're training our folks that everything they see, and it doesn't matter if they're going to lunch. If they're going to lunch and they see an escutcheon plate missing off of, off of a, a sprinkler head, they should be writing a work order that says the escutcheon plate's missing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, focus on that cultural piece. Manage the backlog appropriately. Make sure you're having those meetings to purge the old if it, if it isn't necessary anymore or to, to move things from a priority perspective because now they're a higher priority. And then I think at that point you are managing the backlog. And if you're managing, if you are growing your, if you are have the right backlog, meaning folks are managing it and they're putting in their work. And then you're managing the backlog to either purge duplicates, purge things that are old that don't need to be done, or moving the priorities because now they do need to be done. At that point, you are managing backlog, and you're in a really good place. Definitely. I agree. Awesome. So I think that wraps up our session on backlog and backlog management. For questions on this or any other topics, email us at ask at reliabilityx.com. This has been another episode of Practical Reliability brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success.